I'm glad you're with me. And hello to everybody around the world who's listening to the podcast later. Thank you for that. And uh, this is the May 17th, 2020 service on John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The name of this message I call The Witness. The Witness is the name of the title, and I'm going to invite you again to turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us have a quick word of prayer for this message. Heavenly Father, again asking you to sanctify these words in this time together, that your words come across, that your heart be made clear to us in your purpose and intention, and may the Scriptures now be enlightened for us, that we may see your glory today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh man, I love this passage. Uh, John, the Gospel of John is a, is a quite a long book, and we started our way through it last Sunday with a message called Start Here. We talked a little bit about the love of a mother. And I wanted to tell you a story that um, actually became kind of a, a funny little incident in my mind, and I wanted to share it with you. I didn't share it last week, but I shared it with some folks, and I said, you got to share that. So this is kind of funny, but kind of true also. Last Sunday, we were, I was talking about the, the love of God, and that God is love, and that Christ is love. And, um, and I wanted to give an example last week, but I kind of gave a lot of stories about family and, and, and all those things because it was Mother's Day. But there's another story that we experienced the day before Mother's Day. My wife and I were out hiking, and we had this great encounter with a lady from eastern Kentucky who also spends time here uh, in uh, the Benton area. And, and we ran, run across her walking a couple of dogs. The dogs uh, on the North-South Canal Trail there at LBL in between the lakes. And the two dogs knew the trail. They, and I was surprised by that. And I remarked on that. And it sparked off a conversation. We ended, we ended up talking about how she likes to hike. And her former husband uh, liked to hike with her in eastern Kentucky. Uh, out there in the mountains there. One of the things she said about her husband was that he really was kind of nervous about the black bears. Because those bears, you know, a bear can be dangerous, right? And she would tell him over and over again, they're not very dangerous. Only three people have died in eastern Kentucky from black bears. And he kept saying to her, well, I don't want to be the fourth, you know. And so he wouldn't often go hiking with her, but he, he did, but not often. Well, one time she was hiking with another fellow. And they, she was walking some dogs, had four dogs walking, and they were along the trail, and the fellows walking with her saw two bear cubs near the trail. And he said, oh, they're so cute. I gotta go see them. And so the dogs are with him coming up to the cubs, and, and she says to him, don't go. Do not go. Those cubs are not safe. The mother's got to be around somewhere. She won't ever be far away. And if she sees you with them, you've never seen a mother like this bear cub before. And so she uh, uh, kept trying to convince him not to do that, but he, but he went anyway. And after a moment, he got close to the cubs. And he's going, I'm getting closer. And the dogs 
started to turn and run. And when a dog's are afraid of something and turn and run, it's a good sign, but he didn't. And all of a sudden there was this noise uh, over the, uh, over in the woods and the mother cub, the mother cub, excuse me, the mother bear started coming toward her cubs to protect them. Now, if you don't know what a mother bear is like with her cubs and protection, uh, it's probably one of the most violent things you'll ever encounter if you're the one messing with her cubs, okay? So finally, he looks up, sees this bear, and, and hightails it out. He, now he's running, okay? So it's pretty dangerous. And the mother uh, protects her cubs. Everything turns out okay. And she's telling him, I told you, I told you, I told you. Well, in this whole story, uh, I tell it to you because the mother bear was protecting her cubs with this deep passion. She wasn't going to let anything happen to her beloved cubs. And I had this thought at that moment, and I think you'll appreciate this too, that I think that that mother bear was almost as big of a Cubs fan as me. There you go. I was going to tell that last week, but I wanted you to hear that. Okay. Um, now back to our story today, uh, because I'm going to tell you a story about another man. This man lived at the time of Jesus. His name was John. We call him John the Baptist. He was not a Baptist. He was a baptizer. That's how he got the name Baptist. It's actually in Scripture, John the Baptizer, the one who baptized. And he did baptize Jesus. Uh, but John came as a cousin of Jesus and living out in the wilderness. Um, we think that um, he was part of a, a community of people who were kind of ascetic, didn't have a whole lot of um, connection with uh, society as much. But John came and began to preach this message. And, and what it says in John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 is, John came preaching the message of repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so when he spoke that, people came from all over to hear him. And he began to get a large following. And every time he talked, he talked about how he was... Um, not the one who was the Messiah, but that the Messiah and the kingdom was coming. And this message was a timely message as it had been 400 years since the Israelites heard any scripture or words of prophecy or anything like that about a Messiah. And here's John coming as a prophet in the wilderness saying, you better repent, it's time. And, and his message was so urgent that people began to believe him and uh, follow him. Uh, and we, we learn in Scripture that one of those is uh, Simon Peter is actually the one who at the time was Cephas, uh, was one of those following John the Baptist. There's others that became Jesus' disciples as well that followed John. Well, anyway, John had a couple of things about himself. He was very much um, invested in this Messiah that was coming. As a matter of fact, John said that in famous line, he must increase and I must decrease, talking about Jesus, the Messiah coming. He also was very outspoken and his message began to get him such a following that uh, Herod, the Tetrarch, uh, became familiar with him and John became familiar with Herod. Uh, Herod had, was doing some things that were immoral and John rebuked him. And we find later in our Gospels that Herod imprisoned John because he had rebuked him about his relationship with his brother's wife. He was not happy about that, obviously. Um, but you can see that uh, Herod had imprisoned John. If you ever want to look it up, it's in Luke chapter 
3 verse 19. And, and that's one of the places where John spent the rest of his life in prison. But the reason I say this is, and I'm pulling this out, is John's message was repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But he was also quoting for us Isaiah chapter 40, uh, at verse 3 forward. But I just want you to hear verse 3. In verse 3, John says, and so does Isaiah, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, Scripture records that this is uh, a fulfilled, this passage is fulfilled by John the Baptist. Jesus even tells us later that John is the Elijah who is to come. Now, the Elijah who is to come during uh, the Jewish understanding is that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And so during their Passover feast, they would look out and see if, the, if Elijah had come yet. And they always set an extra seat at the table during their Passover Seder meals for this um, activity, hoping that it would be occupied. So Elijah, who is to come, and Jesus confirms John is that man, that he was Elijah who is to come, fulfilling prophecy. And when John says this, that I am a voice crying in the wilderness, that passage resonated with me and has resonated with me for a long time because that whole passage talks about comforting uh, Jerusalem because their hardship is over. Her warfare has ended and now there's a way for the power and presence of God to come in. When this story in Isaiah happens, it also culminates with this beautiful illustration that people like to quote about what God is doing in our lives. And maybe you've heard this in song form or you've attached as one of your favorite verses, but it says, those who wait upon the Lord will rise up on wings like eagles. They'll walk and not be weary, run and not be faint. This is the end of Isaiah 40. So John the Baptist is ushering in that promise to us. So if you like that verse, Isaiah 40, find out that John the Baptist is fulfilling all this to make it happen. And and that's kind of exciting to me because it, it tells us that that whole passage has become true for us. So indeed, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and walk and not be tired. And, and I love that passage because of that reason and so much others. But um, as we go forward and understand that John is understanding this passage, that he's fulfilling it, he also has the intent uh, and the job, if you will, of announcing Jesus as the Son of God. He's already proclaiming Him as the Son of God before He baptizes Him. And when He baptizes Him, Jesus says, I need you to baptize me to fulfill the prophecy. So John's fulfilling another prophecy there. When John sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John says. He's witnessing to who Jesus is. That's his life story. He keeps doing this over and over and over again. This is Jesus, the Messiah. He's coming. He's here. He announces this is the Lamb of God. And Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. And John says, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. And you want me to baptize you? And Jesus says, yes, it's fitting to fulfill the Scripture, as I said. And so John baptizes Jesus. 
and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. A voice is heard from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and nights. Now, while Jesus has gone off after that baptism, John continues to witness about Jesus to people, but he changes it a little. He says, I've met him. I've baptized him. It's Jesus. And I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. (laughs) And so he adds a little to his testimony because when you know more about Jesus, you can say more about Jesus. And that's what John was doing, being the witness that he was called to be. Now, what is a witness? Let me clarify this for you. A witness is somebody that talks about something other than themselves. You can't testify about yourself as a witness because you can't watch yourself. So a witness is something you've seen or heard or know of or have been given uh, illumination by God of, uh, like John had a prophetic revelation and he would say that revelation through his teaching and preaching. And so that's another kind of witness. But you can't witness and give glory to yourself. It just comes off as braggadocious and boasting. Like, here I am, I'm the Messiah, I'm great. Jesus never, never said that. He always said, uh, I'm the Son of Man, I'm the Son of God. But He never said, I am the Messiah. He never clearly said that. He never witnessed to Himself. He let God the Father do it and other people. And that's important because if you look at John's story, he never, ever, ever boasts on himself. When Jesus talks about John... He talks about him as Elijah who is to come, a reed in the wilderness. Um, And he talks about preparing the way for him to be here. As John the Baptist was lifted up by Jesus as who John was. He didn't say John is the Messiah. He said John is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus bore witness to John as who John is. And when somebody bears witness they're supposed to tell the truth about something. And that's what John was doing, being a faithful witness of the truth about the coming Messiah that God had stirred within him and gave him, if you will, pre-birth awareness that Jesus was who Jesus was. After all, John's the one who jumped inside of his mother's womb when Mary came while pregnant with Jesus. So John, even as a baby, was excited about a witness. He was bearing witness before he was born about who Jesus was. And I think that's incredible. So I'm sharing some things about John with you for a specific reason, and I want to tell you why. John was what we call a forerunner. Not just a witness, he was a forerunner. An archetype. He was a prophet who was Elijah to come, but he was also faithful to what his task was. He didn't add to it and take it apart. He didn't try to do more with it. John's life told the story that he bears witness to who Jesus was. Your life, my life, our lives also tell a story. We also bear a witness. And we bear a witness to what we believe, to what we feel, to what we value, to what we think, and to what we honor. Now, these things may not always be consistent with each other, but our lives consistently show forth 
a witness of our story of what we value in this world. And so you'll hear people talk about the different things if you listen and you'll hear those five things, what they believe, what they feel, what they value, what they think, and what they honor, those five things. Now there are characteristics of that witness. John the Baptist had them and we have them. And those five characteristics are this. First of all, you've got to know your task. John knew his task. It was to be a witness even in prison. When John was in prison, he honored Jesus and continued to inquire of Him. So John knew his task. That's the first thing a witness does. Is he, he knows what he's supposed to be doing. The second thing is you have to know who you are. John knew who he was. He was a messenger. He wasn't the Messiah. People say, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another? John would say, I'm not him. I'm not even worthy to uh, be in his presence. That's how John knew that his role, if you will, task and role, and then his identity as a witness was as a messenger. The third thing that a witness does is they know who they're not. John knew he wasn't Jesus. He knew he was not the light of the world. This passage in John says he came for a witness, this is verse 7, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe, through Jesus, not through John. He, was, he, being John, was not that light. John knew that, but he was sent. This is verse 8. He was sent. John was sent to bear witness of that light. So he wasn't the light, but his task was to bear witness to it. So we have a task. Uh, we know who we are. We know who we aren't. And the fourth uh, characteristic of a good witness is you, you refuse to be honored above what you're witnessing about, especially if it's God or Jesus Christ. You don't want the glory for yourself. You refuse that and put it back on Jesus. So if someone says, man, you, you have such a good story. I really appreciate you. You're so wonderful. That would tend to flatter and honor us. It would seem that way. But when John said, Man, you, you know, uh, Jesus is getting more disciples than you. What's the problem here? And, and John's going, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not about me. It's about Him. And so he refused to be honored above the light of which he was witnessing. So he wouldn't compromise the message to make him look better or gain disciples and stop losing disciples. He'd rather keep the truth going forward. And the last thing we see, and the thing that's true of all witnesses, is they're willing to pay the price to tell the truth. John the Baptist was put in prison for telling Herod the truth about his relationship with his brother's wife. John was not afraid to tell the truth, even though it might make him look bad. Even though other people might be offended by that truth or uncertain about that truth, he continued to be willing to pay the price. Even in prison, some of John's disciples would come and minister unto him because that's how people in prison were cared for back then. His family members and friends would come and meet your needs. The government and the prison system there did not. It was family that cared for the prisoners. And... Uh, so John's own disciples came to him and said, you know, Jesus is doing all this stuff and John sent through those disciples asking questions of Jesus. But John was willing to pay the price to be in prison and to tell his disciples, go follow him. 
because he's the one. So those five characteristics of a witness. Now, here's what I have to tell you. As I said, John was an archetype, a forerunner, a prophet in the sense of Elijah to come. And since John was a prophet in that light, it means that he was the first witness to the Messiah. The first one. He gave an example by his life of how witnessing is to be done. If you are willing, I'm going to ask you to take this passage, uh, rewrite it, uh, the first, those three, uh, four verses I've read, verses six through nine, and, and if you're a female, instead of the word man, write woman. And instead of the name John, write your name there. So for me, I would write, there was a man sent from God whose name was Jonathan. And when I received Jesus Christ, then I became a witness to bear witness of the light. And the same is true for you. So when you um, become a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to follow Christ and be His disciples, you are now a witness to bear witness of the light. Now, listen carefully. Our lives tell a story. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your life's going to tell the story that you believe in Jesus Christ. Because you're going to talk about Him. You're going to think about Him. You're going to pray about Him. Because, remember, our lives tell a story. We bear a bit of a witness to what we believe, feel, value, think, and honor. And in all those things, our lives will tell others whether or not we believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, John Wesley said, Preach the truth at all times. Sometimes use words when necessary. Our lives should be an example of who we are in Jesus Christ as a witness to Him. Because we are the witness that the next person may need. John the Baptist isn't here anymore. We are the ones to fulfill that task. Until the Messiah returns, we are the witness that is come on earth. You, in other words, you and I are John in this story, in this passage. And that story we witness is we're not the light, but we're sent to bear witness of that light with our lives. Okay, so there are five things we've got to do. First of all, we've got to witness to Jesus that He is Lord. That's what John did first. He knew he was a witness, and he witnessed Jesus. Testified that Jesus is who He is. And that's our first task, just like John. Witness that Jesus Christ is Lord. That our lives and our understanding line up with that belief. Now, a lot of folks have trouble with this because they struggle with understanding the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of God. And so there's some there's other different passages in scripture that can help you understand this but when you belong to Jesus he is your lord your master your king your savior he's everything uh he he overrules everything else that's in your life in other words so I'll share this with you because if you don't know this that he is a John was a witness to Jesus 
then you're going to start to think, well, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know if He's able to help me through this. I don't know if He can do this or not. And we begin to question the validity of the relationship, the validity of God's power in us and through us. And when we do that, it's real difficult to, to, to value what we're not sure about. Because it's the first quality of a witness is to believe what you're saying. And hesitation in that means you might not be so sure about the truth of Christ. And that will affect what you feel. It will also affect what you value, which also affects what you think and what you honor with your life and words and actions. So the first thing we need to be is a witness to Jesus, but we have to first of all be a recipient of someone else's witness of Jesus. And that has to settle in us. Yes, I belong to Jesus. He is King. He is Lord. And there's nothing I want to do but let people know how great He is and make Him famous for people who don't know Him. The second thing we need to do is to acknowledge that we are not Jesus. I don't think that's too difficult for anybody because um, our name isn't Jesus most likely. But that's not what I'm talking about here. When we acknowledge we are not Jesus, I'm talking about we're not the ones that call the shots on whether or not we witness. Whether or not we offer our lives as living sacrifices for the kingdom of God. We are not Jesus. We are not the ones who master our lives anymore. We have one Lord, one Master, Jesus Christ. We don't serve flesh. We don't serve the world. We don't have... God and mammon or God and flesh running our lives, we have Jesus Christ. So to acknowledge we are not Jesus means that we take ourselves off the throne of the decision authority in our lives and give Him final say. And first say. And second say. And that's not always so easy. But that's part of the witness is to acknowledge that you are not the one who calls the shots anymore. Jesus is. Third thing, and this isn't so easy, and you have to be careful with this one, so uh, don't just jump on this and go, oh, I can do that without, first of all, understanding the whole thing I say, because a lot of people want to run with this one and, uh, and forget the rest of it, because it's, it's not just one part. John the Baptist rebuked evildoers. A witness is going to rebuke evildoers who do not line up with the truth and try to bring them to a knowledge of the truth. But you cannot rebuke people until after you have a credibility in your witness. John the Baptist didn't just start out and go, Hey, Harry, you've got a problem here. The region was, you see in Scripture, the region was coming to John. And they were aware of who John was in the Jewish authorities and in the Roman authorities. And Herod knew who he was and I believe Herod would have had an audience with John for John to have rebuked him. So there was some credibility there before he started rebuking people. He didn't just go, you know, there's something wrong with him, and nobody knew who he was. In other words, John didn't get up on Facebook and start telling the world what's wrong with everybody and have no credibility in their character. And a lot of people think that because they say something on Facebook, people ought to think it's valid because, you know, it's valid what they say, but they haven't spent time establishing credibility and, and, and faith and trust. And until you do that, 
it sounds like a soapbox and a rant and a rave and people aren't going to listen. But you know, the story of Herod is a lot different than what you think. Remember, Herod had him imprisoned. But don't miss this. Herod began a relationship with John while he was in prison. Herod liked John. Yes, he had his head cut off, but it was against his wishes. Do you understand that John the Baptist rebuked Herod, Herod put him in prison, and later Herod fell for John and wanted to learn of what he was all about? And he did. I believe Herod probably became more godly than he had ever been because of John's witness to him while he was in prison. Now you say, at first you go, well, he rebuked him and got him in prison. That's bad. No, it's good. Because the word went forward because of John's imprisonment and Herod in that relationship was strengthened. You know, I don't know if you can understand this, but people are going to get offended when you tell them the truth, when you rebuke them, if you have credibility. But if you have credibility, they're going to come and say later privately, why'd you do this? What's going on here? I know your integrity, and I want to know how I can be like that, how I can stand up to people like that. That witness, that credibility, you've got to have it. Please do not post stuff on social media without credibility. Please. It doesn't do anybody any good and it just stirs up controversy and doesn't heal a thing. Yes, you may be emotional about it. Write it down on a sheet of paper and read it to the wind. (laughs) It'd be a lot more healthy for our society. Yeah, that's the third thing. So part of your witness is you're going to rebuke evil, but you're going to do it after your credibility is established as a true witness of the truth and people know your integrity. Because a witness without integrity... Is not a witness. Think of it like this. Would you want to uh, listen to someone sell you a car or purchase something from somebody who's lied to you consistently and you know they're a thief? You wouldn't really believe what they say. You would question everything they say, right? No credibility. So that's important. And then the fourth thing in our witness task is to testify daily. (laughs) Now... Now, a lot of folks are going to go, well, you know, I'm, I'm quarantined. Uh, I don't have a lot of people around me. Um, I can't share Jesus except for social media, and I'm trying to do that. It's not what I'm talking about. Please don't miss this one. It says, testify daily is what we do, right? So I'm trying to share with you. And you use words if needed. In other words, your life honors Jesus Christ daily. So, if you aren't spending time in a word, spending time in prayer, trying to get to know Jesus and build that relationship, you're not witnessing. Who are you witnessing to? Yourself. You're witnessing to yourself that this matters to you. If you don't do it, you can say, well, you know, nobody else is listening. Why should I care about it? So it's not important. Your witness tells what you honor. Your story tells what you honor. And if you don't honor it in your private time and in isolation and integrity there, how can you have it anywhere else? How can you stand in big situations if you can't even stand alone for something? This is important. So you testify daily. And like I said, you use words. That means if you have an opportunity to share it, share it. 
but you're still going to be praying, uh, learning about Jesus, studying the Word, doing all those things that a person who loves Jesus does. It's obvious to me, but sometimes we need to hear the obvious things that our lives should be consistently doing the things that tell who we belong to. And again, that we are not Jesus, but that we desperately need Him. And the last thing, and I I truly believe that this way is one of the most powerful ways I could ever close a message. But the last thing is you consider the cost. Jesus told a parable once about a man who was uh, planning uh, an endeavor, and he said, you got to consider the cost before you start. You can't just go, do I have enough? I don't know, let me try. You consider the cost ahead of time. And so you got to consider the cost of being a witness. For John the Baptist eventually caused him imprisonment in his life. And dying to self is part of being a witness. So you consider the cost of being a witness. And the cost that you pay being a witness is you get this eternal reward with Jesus Christ in heaven. And your name is a, a saint who's worked the kingdom of God and brought people in throughout your life. Think of it this way. When Jesus came, after John the Baptist had been in prison, Jesus began to preach. And in Matthew 4.17, this is the message that Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Let me read Matthew 3.2, the sermon John the Baptist began his ministry with. John chapter, uh, excuse me, Matthew John, uh, chapter 3, um, verse 2. It says, John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's Matthew 3.2. I'm going to read Matthew 4.17 one more time. Jesus began to preach after John was in prison and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message. The witness and the one of whom he witnesses to have the same message. And both of them, it cost their lives. They were willing to lay down their lives for the message. So what I'm saying is consider the cost because in the end, it cost Jesus his life, but it was a message that cost John his Uh, freedom, if you will, and then eventual life. And so Jesus knew the cost of being that witness was death on a cross. But what's the reward? What's the reward Jesus got? He got a resurrection eternally able to save all who come to Him to redeem us as Savior, as Lord of all, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess He is Lord, just like John did. He bowed and confessed before Jesus, your Lord. Now every other knee shall. And that's the reward Jesus got is all of everything belong to Him. Yeah, He paid the cost, but He got the reward. And so we consider the cost of whether or not people will like us or not like us, trust us or not trust us, and we understand that that's all a part of it because if you love Jesus, that's bigger than all of that. I'd rather lose the whole world and gain my soul than gain the world and friendships and lose it, my soul. 
Because that's what's in the balance here. Now think of this. And this is the part that considering the cost is all about. Because there's a cost of not witnessing too. Yes, you won't offend anybody. People might think you're a good person. Life will be kind of peaceful and easy. But at the end of your life, and you look back, and you see all the things that you've done, and you look around, and you realize you've wasted so many years, and then you're ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ, He's going to look at you and say, I don't know you. And you certainly didn't know me, because you didn't live for me. Depart from me. So the price is paid either at the beginning or the end. If we pay the price now, the end reward is great. If we don't pay the price now, the final price is eternal loss. Eternal separation. John was the witness in this story. But you are the witness in your story. And your story needs to be the witness of Jesus Christ and that you're not Him, but He is the light. But you have to be recipient of that truth. If you don't know who Jesus is like that, you can't witness it. So if you don't know Him like that, I'm asking you right now to say, Lord, I don't know you like that. And I want to. I really want to learn how to be the witness you asked me to be. I want to live every day knowing that in that day I loved you better and I learned to love you more and love like you. God, help me. Help me. Help me receive the truth of the light of Jesus Christ. You even said that the light which gives light to everyone who comes into the world is Jesus. And if I don't have Jesus, I don't have light inside. i got nothing. And I'm alone, and I'll be in darkness my whole life into eternity. And I don't want that. And I don't want that for you. So today I've spoke this message hoping that you will be the witness after the witness of this message has spoken that truth to you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I know that my life doesn't always line up with the witness of John the Baptist or the witness of who you are. And Heavenly Father, there are people here listening, watching, who can say, yeah, me either. Me too. And Heavenly Father, it's part of this world where we've become so consumed with uh, searching for other things and trying to survive and all those things the world tells us are important that we've lost sight and maybe never even really knew how to grab a hold of the deeper truth of who you are. So help us, God. Be patient with us. Forgive us for our stubbornness, our stubborn hearts and minds still thinking that we're able to do this without you, that we have not acknowledged that we are not you. Help us to be submissive, to come humbly before you and say, Lord God, I, I do need you. In that relationship, I hunger for it. And I'm just afraid that I don't know how to do it or I don't know what to do. So stir in me with your Holy Spirit and bring me a fire that I don't understand that will just make me do the things that make me draw closer to you. God, I pray today that you would hear my confession, that you would hear my heart, and that you would hear this prayer as we each pray it from the depths of who we are 
into your throne room, Heavenly Father. Receive. You said you would never refuse a broken and a contrite heart. And so here we are, Heavenly Father, once again, asking for mercy. Letting that light come to us so that we can bear witness. Because when that light illuminates us, Heavenly Father, we see the darkness dissipate in us that just doesn't understand how to walk in the light. So I ask you to give us courage now to confess that we need you. And help us to hear your words spoken over us. You're my beloved. You are my beloved and I will love you and be with you and sustain you. Never leave you. Never forsake you. Follow me and I will make you fishers of others. That you will bring others with you into the kingdom. Just follow me. Follow me. It's the very first command the disciples received, Heavenly Father, from Jesus was, follow me. So, Heavenly Father, help us to stop trying to lead or figure out where this is going and just learn to be good followers. Sometimes we need to just follow for a while. Heavenly Father, we trust you in that. May we trust you in all things. And uh, I ask that you would uh, use this time together to move us forward in your kingdom and your kingdom move forward in this world. I pray this, Heavenly Father, for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you all for uh, being a part of the message today. I'm going to encourage you to join.